when it comes to sight reading, there's a lot of discussion about what to do with your eyes while you're playing. But have you considered what's going on with your hands? We're going to discuss that next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 62. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. If you're one of my younger listeners out there, one of the fun things you might discover as you get an adult is that allergies are something that you can develop as an adult even when you did not have them when you were younger. I'm pretty sure I got to be 30 or older with no trace of an allergy of any kind and uh, I don't know what I'm allergic to, but apparently I have allergies all the time now. So uh, this week has not been one of the better ones. And so and if my voice sounds a little more uh, bass-like, a little more lurch-like, that's what's going on today. So uh, it wasn't that bad during the interview that I'm going to share. So it's just this introduction. I sound like it's early in the morning, which it actually is, but it's compounded by just some allergies going on. Anyway, I hope all of you are doing well this week. I'm really looking forward to sharing today's episode. We're going to be discussing a topic that I'm really surprised it's only the second time that we've explored it. And it's been almost a full year since I previously explored it with a guest. And that is the concept of sight reading. Before the Musician Toolkit, I had a podcast called Life in the Pit, all about theater musicians. And one of the things that gave me the idea for this one is I would occasionally ask what aspects of musicianship helped them to succeed at a high level in their jobs, especially when I'm talking to those who have been on um, Broadway tours, people who have actually sat in Broadway, so people who have done that at the highest professional level. And the number one thing that was always mentioned was good sight reading skills. And I found that to be the case even in a more local, more regional level. Being able to sight read well has done a lot of things for me. It does a lot of things for me every week. I have a part-time church job where I I play piano. I play uh, on Wednesday nights. I play on Sunday mornings. And there's a time earlier in my musical life where I would have had to practiced everything in advance before going to rehearsal or before going to the Sunday morning service or whatever service it is. And um, I've been there for more than a year. I haven't had to practice hardly anything yet. Like there's my, maybe been like a page full of measures of all the pages that I've played that I've had to actually practice. Everything else I have been able to sight read at performance level. Now, to be fair, the church I play for is not doing the hardest repertoire out there as far as piano accompaniments go. So it could be much harder than it is. But I have earned myself kind of a relaxing position because I have put in the effort to develop my sight reading skills. And as I mentioned before, and as I'll mention again in this interview, I am not a naturally good sight reader. I worked really hard to develop this aspect of my musicianship, to develop this tool. One type of gig that I have done quite a bit of is playing for theater auditions, which 
this is when several aspiring actors, several actors who want to be in a particular play or sometimes it's mega audition. So they're auditioning for possible a role or two or three in multiple musicals or multiple plays. They'll bring in sheet music that I've never seen and I need to play it well enough that if they don't get the role, nobody's going to think it was because of the pianist. <laughs> so no pressure. I mean, <laughs> but I can go on and on. If you could sight read well, you could be asked to play for a dinner party and just bring a whole bunch of music and just open it. And someone could add, request something, you know, and as long as they're not requesting something, you know, that's like truly sophisticated, uh, you could just find that music or, you know, let's uh, sorry, I was giving more of a pre-2024 example. You could take your iPad and you could go online to... Um, IMSLP or music notes or somewhere where you can obtain the sheet music fairly quickly and uh, whatever it is, however you're getting your sheet music, you can on the spot play it and know that it's going to be pretty well. Sight reading is an immensely useful tool. When we talked about it before, we talked about mindset of sight reading. So that was back on episode 11 which was called Sight Reading Maverick with Erica Sipes. We talked about a lot of great things on an episode, and that was, again, almost a year ago. It was March 6th, 2023, that we had that episode. And mostly we talked about the mindset of sight reading. We talked a little bit about uh, tactical aspects of sight reading, such as where do the eyes go, and kind of having more of a relaxed stare. If you're not a vocalist, though, there's a good chance that while you're sight reading, your hands are doing something to play your instrument. And that is the main topic of today's conversation that I'm having with David Holter. David Holter is a friend and a local colleague who several years ago decided to specialize in teaching sight reading. And he started a group on Facebook that I'm going to mention that uh, when I got on there, it was, you know, just a couple of dozen members and uh, now has more than 11,000 members. <laughs> and it's all about piano sight reading. So we're talking from the, from the aspect of sight reading at the piano and that in his course is for pianists who want to develop better at sight reading. But no matter what instrument you play, I'm, I'm sure you can translate this advice to your hands as well but also piano skills is one of the core tools of musicianship, no matter what your primary instrument is. So everybody can make use of the things that we're talking about this episode. But what we're going to be getting into today, again, is thinking about what are the hands doing? Because if you're supposed to keep your eyes on the page and you're supposed to keep uh, looking ahead by a measure or two or, you know, ahead of where you're playing, you can't be looking down at your hands so you have to, your hands have to be aware of what's going on so we're going to get into that and i really love this conversation and love david's take on this this is something that i have thought about on my own before which is really kind of a gap in how sight reading is taught and david has addressed it and he's addressed it with a course he's addressed it with a group a lot of thoughts on the subject. So here is my interview with David Holter. 
So today, I'm, I think for the first time ever, I'm talking to someone with the same name as me. I'm talking to David. So, <laughs> but David, <laughs> David Holter, <laughs> great to have you on the podcast today. So happy to be here. Thank you, David. I mean, not only are, uh, am I talking to someone uh, with the same first name, that, uh, but it's also a piano teacher. But we very briefly were uh, neighbors <laughs> in, in a studio for, for maybe, maybe a portion of a year. I think about half of 2019, we were neighbors. And then, uh, you know, the pandemic happened and uh, that store moved and we don't have, uh, you know, they don't have uh, teaching studios there. But anyways, it's good to reconnect with you again. So how have you been doing lately? I'm doing well. Um, I've been transitioning recently into uh, teaching, especially sight reading and also piano technique, um, and how those two go together. So we work on them separately, and then we'll work on them together. Um, and I've also been transitioning into teaching more, as a lot of us have the past few years, uh, teaching more virtually online. Yeah. Um, and recently also teaching groups, small groups, um, which I really enjoy. It's a lot of fun. So uh, this episode's all about the the how to of sight reading. I and 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 I'll get into that in a moment. But if I understand your your story correctly, like you you are not a natural sight reader, which probably means why you're <laughs> why you're a passionate teacher. Like I I cannot teach ear training because I've always done it well. I mean I shouldn't say I can't teach it. Yeah, I'm teaching by rote. You know, I'm basically here's what people say you should be listening for um i've never struggled with with ear training so it's not you know it's just it's not something that i'm passionate about whereas um you know the things that like music theory i actually am i i am pretty good at music theory but i didn't really get into it until i got to college you know where i really Uh kind of dived in Um, so i think it's just things that you discover you know, as a, as a student, especially like later in your music journey that become passions. So I, th- I take it sight reading was that for you? Absolutely. So I know what you mean about certain things coming more naturally and you've kind of always done them well. So you don't necessarily remember the process of going from, you know, disaster to master with a certain topic. Um, and maybe similar to what you discovered and learned to love about music theory, um, I can very easily remember a kind of turning point where I went from avoiding sight reading, you know, for the first 10 years of my piano studies <laughs> and, uh, and trying to play, you know, a Christmas gig when I was a teenager uh, and basically pretending almost to read, you know, a bunch of Christmas carols that I had spent over 20 hours that week, like painstakingly working out, you know. Uh, and then someone said, well, hey, you haven't played my favorite Christmas carol yet. You know, can you play Silent Night? And I really kind of, in a panic, flipped to flipped in my book to Silent Night, but I could barely get started. And uh, some of the people gathered around wanted to sing along, and they were confused. You know, why why were you able to quote unquote read all these other Christmas carols, and now you can't read? You know, one of the simplest, slowest Christmas carols of all, and also most popular, <laughs> right? So that was when I realized, or I started to think that I'm just not a sight reader. Uh, it was embarrassing. I kind of played it by ear the best I could. Um, but I remember that very well. And so for several years after that, I had this kind of wish, you know, uh, I was jealous of my friends that could sight read really well. It seemed to be naturals. Um, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And 
because I felt like I just wasn't, you know, born a sight reader, uh, I avoided practicing sight reading. I didn't really get better um, until Dr. Barbara Listersink's uh, sight reading class at Salem College was a turning point for me. So similar for what you described with uh, music theory, you know, um, I dove into sight reading in her sight reading class because I, there was a moment where I realized, hey, maybe I've just been going about it the wrong way. Maybe I can learn to do this. And that moment was when she, she has several barber's bibs, you know, like you'd wear to get a haircut, um, hanging up in her piano studio. And I always kind of wondered, what are those there for? Like, does she get, you know, her haircut here or what? Um, but during the sight reading class, she wrapped me up in one of those barber's bibs and she draped the barber's bib over the piano keys. And then she put up a really simple minuet, you know, on the piano rack and she asked me to sight read it. And immediately I, I realized that I can't even get started with sight reading without looking down at my hands, mm -hmm. you know. And I had heard before, well, if you want to develop as a sight reader, you shouldn't look down and you also shouldn't stop. You know, you should just go and go and go and read, read, and read. And those, when I tried to do those two things simultaneously, I just felt completely lost and hopeless, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of like if you tell someone, for example, if I invited you over to my house and took you down uh, into the garage where there's just a bunch of stuff lying around and it was it was night and it, we didn't turn on the lights. And I said, David, I want you to run through this garage fast and don't stop. You would move really like hesitantly and kind of stop start and you might get hurt it would be a really uncomfortable experience mm -hmm. but that's kind of like what we're asking our students to do when we say don't look down don't stop you're basically having to run your fingers all over the place to play all the right targets to go where you want them to go you know but you can't even see where you're going right so that experience um got me on this journey of realizing that I've got to learn to develop my feel for the keys so that I can become a better sight reader. Because I had, I already, when I studied with her, I already had a degree in music composition from yeah. Middlebury College. I'd already studied piano for a long time and played, you know, Beethoven sonatas, et cetera. But I couldn't sight read the simplest thing because my, the moment I began to sight read, my initial uh, response was to look down to find the target and then to look up, you know, and then to look down again to find the next target. Um, and I had I'd studied with really good teachers. I just avoided practicing sight reading because I was missing that particular uh, skill um, in my practice routine, you know, of feeling the keys. Right. In spite of the fact that this is a general music podcast, piano skills is one of the basic tools. And so many of us also have instruments that we can kind of translate this to whether it be like you know fingerings on a you know on our woodwind or brass or you know where the left hand is on a string instrument you know piano you know is one of those instruments kind of like harp or organ or yeah i'm you know I tell you who really impresses me are mallet percussion instruments because they're not yes. even touching their instrument they're holding right. on to sticks you know and it's like and they have to sight read while <laughs> finding right. that but so whether whatever your instrument is uh you probably had a teacher tell you to sight read well keep your eyes on uh the sheet music and i did that for a while and 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 i'll say that <laughs> there are common elements in our story and that uh, it was an embarrassing situation that opened our eyes that we needed to get better at sight reading for, <laughs> for me it was showing up in um 
my first voice lesson as a college accompanist, you know, because uh, I went to a college where they put students on scholarship for accompanying hours, you know, they didn't have a, uh, I mean, they actually did have a designated accompanist, but they, but he couldn't do all the work. So the students kind of took up the slack and I was like, okay, well, I can do that. I figure I'd be going in week one while the students is, is learning their part and I can learn my part, but that's not how it works. You come in on week four when they've been uh-huh. working on it and it's already up to tempo. And it's like, and here's a, here's a show tune from a Broadway musical, uh, just play it, David. <laughs> and right. it was right. thankfully I had heard it before. So I was able to fake it by ear while realizing I'm probably not doing it exactly right. And I had to take a special course on sight reading while I was there. And then, you know, my project was, uh, over, over the course of a summer, I just went through the entire book one and book two of the well-tempered clavier, just Nice. took an entire summer uh and because most of it was new you know i'd only learned like three of the preludes and two of the fugues so i was you know i was pretty good go <laughs> as far as that yeah. goes but um you know one of the things that i think maybe maybe not as common is uh as long as i can remember i've always had a feel of the keys and that was because just for fun speaking of that dark garage i uh i used to uh let my parents turn out the light in the living room and they would they would go to the bed and they they have a little door to the hallway so that like you know if i decided to practice at night you know it wouldn't interfere with their sleep or anything like that but uh i just decided not to turn the lights back on you know i would just play at the piano in the dark use my ear and kind of unintentionally starting to learn the feel of the keys but I still never like took advantage of the fact that or understood that I don't have to look at my hands. So I got that part out of the way. But when I was teaching, when I started teaching and basically parroting the advice that I'd been told, you know, or teaching, you know, what I had learned of what your eyes should be doing, I realized I had not been teaching like what should your hands be feeling for? Like what, you know, what is going on with your hands so you don't have to look? So, you know, let's just talk about some kinesthetic awareness of the keys. Like, what are some ways like, uh, you know, we, we all have ways that we teach the letters when you look at them. What are some ways that you, you get some key awareness without looking at it? What are some ways that you found to be successful? One of the best starting points, I would say, is what I call the basic feel exercise. <laughs> so uh, a lot of these are just kind of, They've evolved from, you know, years of working on this with students when I realized how much developing my own feel for the keys benefited my sight reading. I wanted to then, you know, give this to my students and give them very clear uh, kind of step-by-step exercises. And the basic feel exercise, so if anybody listening um, is at their piano or if you play another instrument, you could absolutely tweak this for your instrument. Um, You know, I grew up playing the violin and i remember how challenging it was the moment those little stickers were removed you know Mm -hmm. for where i had to place my fingers um but i also played clarinet and i played saxophone later uh and i love clarinet and saxophone because the hands don't have to jump around Mm -hmm. you know the primary challenge with piano of course uh any mallet mallet instrument uh organ all quite a few instruments um where we do need to develop this kinesthetic awareness is because we're constantly jumping around. You know, for piano, one hand has to jump 
maybe a fifth while the other hand's jumping two octaves, you mm -hmm. know? So it's quite a skill. Um, but the very kind of beginning point of working on this that I found with my students to be pretty helpful to just kind of jump start uh, thinking about this and feeling the keys with awareness is the basic feel exercise. So all you do is you sit at your keyboard and you close your eyes and you reach out and you land your hand inside the black keys, you know, so that all five fingertips are uh, feeling black keys. And you want your hand in a fifth hand span. So with some students, they already know what a fifth hand span kind of feels like, right? Because it's the most natural, intuitive, um, and most beginning piano pieces are in that fifth hand span where you've got a fifth from thumb to pinky. Um, if that's not even that, it, it can be bizarre for some students to try to land their hand in a fifth inside the black keys without looking. So sometimes we'll look first and just get a feel for that, going from our lap to the keys back and forth, you know. But then once they have a good feel for the fifth hand span, um, they can land the hand in there and just notice what each finger is feeling, right? So we start very simply at first, uh, especially if the student has never done this sort of thing before. So now that I have my hand inside the black keys in the fifth hand span, my first question is, what is my thumb feeling? You know, mm -hmm. is my thumb between two black keys or is, is it in uh, a white key pocket, we call it, or like a white key gap with two white keys in a row? And then you go through each finger and you just ask yourself that question, you know, and then based on the sum total of what you're feeling, you think to yourself or you say out loud to your teacher what hand position you're in you know named by the bottom note or as i'll usually say instead of g position we call it g to d position mm -hmm. because that way we're getting a really clear sense of you know the territory that the, the the hand is covering and the fifth hand span is a really great place to start because it's so natural but also because there's no gap in what we're feeling you know the moment we go to a sixth hand span or seventh or certainly an octave, there are gaps in parts of the keyboard that we're unable to feel, you know. So the fifth hand span is like this unbroken beam of awareness. For example, if I have my thumb on G and my pinky on D mm -hmm. and I'm, I've got all five fingers inside the black keys, I can literally feel from F sharp to E flat. You know, I can feel 10 of the 12 keys. Yeah. So it's a really good starting point. Yeah. And, you know, I, to, this is actually something I think if you play organ, you've known this since the beginning because you know that you've got, you've got uh, sheet music and you've got two hands, possibly two or more manuals, and you've got foot pedals. And so when it comes to those foot pedals, you know, they tell you uh, ballet shoes or take off your shoes so that you can feel around down there where those like, right. you know, basically the equivalent of the two and the three black keys are so you can find your way around, you know, and, and, and you're, you're supposed to totally. use your heel and toe strategically to kind of, you know, smoothly find your way, you know, across. Uh, so we're just moving that to the hands where we sometimes neglect that. Um, you know, think about the five finger positions, you know, I don't think, you know, we, uh, I'm I'm kind of comparing method books. I'm not going to I'm not going to call out like what teachers do, but what method mm -hmm. books encourage, you know, it's basically CDE, FGAB, you know, we we learn them in those groups. 
Um, you know, right. one thing that I that I think Faber does really well, it's it's actually a theory exercise, but it's a good practical exercise. It's in their primer book. And, you know, they, they basically, you fill out going from A to A and then B to B and C to C. And I said, okay, good, do that. Now say it out loud while you go up, go up and down <laughs> but you could also yeah. do that with any five notes in a row just a b c d e e d c b a b c d e f f e d c b and just kind of go through right. like that and and maybe do that while you're not looking and finding right. those on the p on the piano you know that could be a good example i've also found kind of uh you know there, there's the name that key game but it's where i might also say um, I'm, I might like take the student's hand and put it in a zone. Uh, and I said, okay, now don't look, find me a G. So, you know, so he's right. You know, they're thinking, all right, find the three black keys, F G A B. There's the G. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. We'll just call this the kinesthetic awareness of keys. You know, it's the, I've said often before, you know, there's three senses we use in music. I, I think using your, your hearing you're listening kind of almost goes without saying, you know, I think that doesn't surprise anybody. And then we can really get into like, when we talk about vision, you know, of course that's two places. That's what's happening. If you look at your hands, that's what's happening on the sheet music. So that's what your eyes do is also very important. But I really think the most powerful way to really get a, a kind of a mastery of the instrument is you know, what's happening with the feel. And by the way, I meant to say, I like what you said earlier from disaster to master. I like that better than from mystery to mastery. <laughs> I like mystery to mastery too, for sure. Yeah. 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 But, but I like that disaster to master. That's, that's, that's a, that's a <laughs> nice contrast. Um, let's go to, to some specifics. So let's talk about, um, so if you're, you're learning some scales, you're learning some chords, like what are some exercises that you might do to kind of get used to not having to watch your hands and get get familiar with that totally so you just mentioned the three you know senses that we really use as musicians um the hearing and the uh the visual when we're reading music of course or when we're looking over at the conductor or other musicians etc um or when we're looking down at our hands mm -hmm. and the, the the kinesthetic or the tactile the feel for the keys you know and so I think it's best to work on one at a time. Mm -hmm. So I do have my students practice scales and chords, arpeggios, um, any sort of technique that they're trying to develop, first by looking down. Because, you know, like we were talking about running through the dark room, uh, it helps first to turn the lights on and just see where you're going. Mm -hmm. So I encourage them first to work on any new technique, actually looking <laughs> so that they can move Right, because when we're working on technique, the most important thing is getting that ease and that fluidity to the movement. And that comes much more easily when you can look at the targets. Um, just like when I was on violin as a beginner and had the stickers, you know, showing me where to put my fingers. Um, then once you have a good feel for it, it doesn't take long. And sometimes within the same practice session, you know, I'll show them, here's, uh, you know, an E major arpeggio. And once they get the feel for it, then I'll just have them close their eyes and do it again. So now instantly, you know, in the brain, there's less activity in the, the visual cortex, which otherwise can really overwhelm <laughs> the other senses. You know, the eyes can really take over. Uh, and now there's actually not only more attention and awareness in the feel of the keys, 
um, but also in the way they're using the body, you know, the way they're, they're using the arm. And it's easier to listen. So I used to play in the dark, too, as a kid and, and just kind of make things up and improvise. And I loved it um, because I think the ears are a little bit more there. They wake up a little more easily when we're not looking at something. You know, we're really just putting our attention on the feel and the sound. So I think it's fantastic. But first, we start by looking so that we can really develop the, the technique and see how we're doing it, you know, and see the targets and gain that ease and and fluidity to the movement yeah you know you, you hit on uh, kind of a basic of practice and 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 i feel like i could just do like a mini episode on this but um what you pay attention to is what gets improved you know and and if you try to like pay attention that. to everything you're you're uh you're diluting your attention but if you say i'm going to focus on what my thumb is doing right now in the right hand that's going to get improved whereas if I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to both hands at once and and you know and the rhythm and the dynamics and the and the articulation and <laughs> and the pedaling right you, you know so take taking one thing at a time even as specific as that yeah that's such a good tip you know just for practicing totally and it goes back to your previous podcast episode where you talked about slow practice you know and I think that's so valuable um, to to have one thing at a time that you're really focusing on. Uh, and so I think in, in the slow practice episode, you mentioned that you it, it can be helpful to practice something up to speed as long as it's in a very small amount, right? It's just like right. maybe half a measure or one measure. Right. And so I do that with my students too to help them gain confidence that they really can feel their way around the keys, you know. Um, of course, I emphasize that there's nothing wrong with glancing down. We all need to glance down sometimes when we're sight reading. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's fine. But the more we develop our feel for the keys, the more that glancing down is, is a way of kind of confirming what we're already pretty confident that we can leap to. So whenever a student, you know, has to shift hand positions and just kind of automatically glance down, glances down as a habitual thing, um, then we'll just go back and we'll practice like you recommended. First, um, actually pretty slowly, just feeling that movement and actually looking down at the hand and getting a feel for that exact movement. Then looking back up at where that movement happens in the sheet music. And now, instead of the eyes closed, now we're looking at that hand position shift in the sheet music and still feeling it and just doing reps, you know, first slowly, but then up to tempo. Um, and like you recommended too, we don't generally, I don't recommend that students kind of notch up the metronome bit by bit mm -hmm. for something like that. Yeah. We alternate between going nice and slow, taking our time and then just going for it pretty quickly. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of, and that you know, really I, did, developed I didn't say this at the time, but you know, really what you're doing to improve when you you're increasing the speed. So this is what I called pause play practice. And right. I don't think I was, I don't think I was clear on that, that uh, to say that the pause time can be as long as you need. If you need to wait 10, 15, 20 seconds before you move, you know, that's fine. Um, what, so the way you speed up the piece is you speed up the decision time. You know, you get to where, you know, I can, I, okay, I can think about this for five seconds and then move. And I can think about it for three and then two seconds and then only one second, you know, before I'm moving. And then before you know it, 
you're very close up to tempo and 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 i do believe you know you mentioned uh, you studied with barbara lister sink uh, you know i've seen her videos before and uh in past videos she's kind of you know said you know really the only type of practice she recommends for the most part once you have kind of the your the basic technique that she teaches is i i don't know if she called them clusters or clumps you know or something like that but basically like here's two notes or here's but but she kind of recommended like logical phrases when you're working on music you know like like let's right. take this little motive for this thing but but up to speed and then do it again and do it again but rather right. than like one note next note next <laughs> exactly i think you referenced you know leaping maybe an octave or several octaves and then if you were to practice that in slow motion yeah um you know that is helpful i think because it helps to uh, get a really nice feel for that leap yeah. but like you recommended then if you just go for it um up to speed like you really go maybe even faster than you need to for the for the piece uh then you're developing your technique um in the same way that you know a gymnast or any athlete uh has to practice things up to speed right so like a gymnast who's running and, and does a, a twirl and a flip and lands it they can't practice that in slow motion they have to repeat that pretty advanced you know motor skill again and again and again and just tweak something each time you know put their attention on something that they want to shift each time so we do the same thing at the piano which is just a much smaller you know dance floor or uh, uh gymnasium floor but it's the same principles for developing a motor coordination. Absolutely. And a lot of what I teach is <laughs> definitely inspired um, and adapted or absolutely stolen from <laughs> Dr. Barbara Lister saying. Right. Um, do you ever find yourself like may encouraging temporarily to do something technique wise to learn something that, you know, maybe you wouldn't want them to keep doing? Like I'll give you a good example just for myself and I'm, and I always wonder like how much I should pass this along to my students, but to learn all of my chords and inversions really well, what I would do is I would play the chord, flex the fingers pretty tight and then pull it up so that I can really feel that distance and then put it right back down. And I would do the same thing with a first inversion. Like, like normally, you know, we, we don't want students to squeeze the hand really tight. We want, you know, like Alfred, uh, Alfred's piano library always said, you know, pretend you have a bubble in your hand and you don't want it to break. You know, you're just putting enough pressure to hold on to the bubble, which, you know, I think is generally pretty good. But when it comes to like, I'm trying to tell my brain what this chord feels like. So I'm emphasizing, I'm intentionally squeezing that to kind of, kind of the same way that if I'm working on a wrist rotation, I'm exaggerating it, you know? So like, do you ever use any exaggeration or any extra tension uh, in your exercises to, to learn certain things? I recommend that students, you know, let's say they're there. I need them to develop just the feel of the first inversion chord, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what I tend to do is just have them go from the lap back to the keys, back and forth, back and forth. And with a lot of them, we've worked so hard on eliminating any unnecessary tension that, um, I just, I, I have them do it as freely as they can. Um, for some students, you know, being more physically engaged with it in that kind of way might be helpful. Mm -hmm. Of course, it depends on the student, but a lot of them are, they're working so hard on releasing unnecessary tension that 
I have them go back and forth from the lap and then, you know, open up the hand to that particular hand span. So first inversion, that would be a sixth, right? As freely as they can. And that way they learn to trust uh, that they can feel for that hand span, that hand shape. Um, and it'll be nice and free. Uh, the, the key with all of this, though, I think is um, repetition, of course. <laughs> so the, the challenge with sight reading, you know, is that you may have a passage where there are seven or eight different chord shapes, right? And so any student that hasn't mastered each of those chord shapes individually somehow is going to struggle and they're, they're going to, that flow is going to stop they're, or they're going to get really tense, you know, when they arrive at that particular shape that they're not as familiar with. So that's why I'll just have them look at a chord shape that's not even on the staff. It's just the shape of that chord on like a three line staff, for example, mm -hmm. so that it's not note specific and just have them play that shape in various positions on the keys, mm -hmm. um, often inside the black keys. And we work on releasing tension in the hand, even when you're inside the black keys, because that can be pretty, that can be pretty challenging for students sometimes, um, and for all of us, to have that hand nice and free inside the black keys. Um, but yeah, I think th there's a place for, you know, having more tension in the hand if that'll help the student to really download the feel of that hand shape. Mm -hmm. But then I would right away tell them also, you know. Now let's go back to a, a free hand, you know, as much as possible. Right. Um, so let's get to now the, the question that everyone always asks when it comes to whether it's sight reading or just playing. That's putting hands together, especially when the hands are not doing the same things, like maybe right. different rhythm. Now we have graded repertoire for that, you know, where like one, you know, I think most like method books, the hands go together and they're one hand's not doing too much or they're doing very similar things and we gradually ask it to do more. But, you know, what are just some thoughts that you have when it comes to especially trying to sight read music when the hands are doing different things, especially as you mentioned, like they might leap at different intervals, like one leaps at a fifth, right. the other one leaps at an octave. Right. So I'll go over briefly the, the five course skills that are kind of the, the foundation of how I teach this. Um, and then you'll I'll try to explain how those core skills are worked on first hands separately and then hands together. Because music is so complex, as you alluded to earlier, that one of our jobs as teachers um, and as professional musicians when we're practicing is to break this complex skill down and just focus on one sub skill at a time, you know. And so for me, Dr. Listersink broke down the skill of sight reading. And one of the sub skills was, hey, you gotta, you gotta be able to, to sight read quite a bit just by feeling the keys instead of looking down. So then because I became a little obsessed with that sub skill, I broke that down into five uh, sub skills that we call the core skills. Um, and they spell the word spark, S-P-A-R-K, just a helpful way to remember the five core skills. So I'll go through each one and, and talk about how that can also ultimately help with hands together because that is one of the most common um, challenges that people <laughs> cite uh, when it comes to sight reading. It's like, yeah, I can I can read the bass clef just fine, you know, especially for pianists. Um, and I can read the treble clef just fine, but when he asked me to do them both at once, I mean, come on, right? It's really 
a complex. So the first letter S, that stands for shapes. Uh, like we were just talking about, you know, chord shapes, for example. Um, a student might be really pretty, pretty good at just sight reading as long as it's simple triads. Root position, first inversion, second inversion. And maybe they can do that in both hands. But the moment they get to a more complex chord in the left hand, and simultaneously <laughs> a more complex chord in the right hand, or um, what we call a kind of a melodic shape, you know, where it's a broken chord, that, could th that can easily throw them off. So at that point, I would stop and just extract that shape, that chord shape that, that um, caused them to, to stop or that they missed. And we would just drill that shape left and right all over the keyboard, you know, hands separately at first, uh, and then hands together as they're looking at that chord shape, just the extracted image of it. So now they're getting a chance, you know, because music flies by so fast. Now they're actually getting a chance to deepen the feel for that particular shape, first with one hand, then with the other hand, and then hands together. Uh, then we'll do the same thing with whatever the challenge was in the right hand, but we'll also have left hand work on that particular shape, you know. So that's generally the process is first, Let's extract the exact skill uh, in terms of recognition and feeling the keys, and then we'll work on it hands separately and then hands together, right? So like the so the first letter stands for shapes, and that's typically how we'll work on it. Um, the second letter stands for positions, right? So positions is simply like we all talk about as pianists and teachers. We got C position, D position, E position. So it's really useful. If a student struggles, you know, to recognize, for example, a diminished seventh, just kind of root position, that chord shape, to practice that in different positions on the keyboard. So the shapes and positions go together. Um, and then the A is for anchors. Um, this seems to be a lot of people's favorite, including my father, who has played his whole life, and he has studied some of this. And he says, David, I, I kind of knew most of this stuff and I was kind of using it already. But recently I've been using anchors more. So he um, he's played a lot most of his life and he uh, he accompanies a lot of students at East Carolina University. Mm -hmm. And he has to learn music pretty quickly often. Um, and he actually in four score, you know, he, he created his own custom stamp that looks like an anchor. Mm -hmm. And so he'll just <laughs> poke the screen left and right anywhere next to a note that he wants to use as a specific anchor. Um, so this is one of those skills that will be familiar to pianists, uh, but it helps to put a name to it. It's similar to finger substitution, right? Where you have a particular note and you're switching fingers on that note in order to facilitate a very direct and intentional hand position shift. But I'll have students work on anchors you know, in isolation. An anchor is basically any note or finger that you pay extra attention to, and then you orient your movement around that. Mm -hmm. So a really simple anchor exercise, just to help get comfortable, you know, shifting positions on the keys, is to play the same note. This is kind of the most basic anchors exercise. Just play the same note with each finger, right? So you play D, for example, with, with three, and then with two, and then with one and then back to two. So now you're practicing um, position shifts by step 
using the D as an anchor. And then we'll shift to uh, position shifts by skip. So we play that D with three, and then with one, and then with three, and then with five, you know, and so on, uh, until we get to uh, what are called close anchors. For example, if I've got my thumb on C, and I want to move, I'm trying to follow the fingering in the sheet music, and it says, hey, you got to put, you know, your your fourth finger down on the A below the C, well, my thumb is like a close anchor because it's the closest to the target. So I use the feel of where that thumb is to then toss my hand down about to where I think I would land four on A. So that gets a little more advanced, you know. Right. But we practice those in isolation um, using anchors. And that can also be very helpful in learning repertoire um, to just get really clear on when I get to this moment in the sheet music, I'm going to put all my attention on this particular finger to prepare me to then make this move, you know. Um, and then the R in Spark stands for regions. So, <laughs> so uh, this this is um, one of my own peculiar strategies. Is I love to sit centered with middle D. Uh, a lot of people sit centered with middle C, which makes sense. You know, in terms of music theory, the, the instrument is certainly based around C. But in terms of the topography of the keyboard, if we sit centered with middle D, then I can easily reach out for one thing and find that middle D, the, those uh, two black keys, by basically reaching out straight in front of my belly button, you know, without looking down. Mm -hmm. So that orients me really well. But then the beauty of sitting centered with middle D is that I've got the groups of two black keys and the groups of three black keys are all um, symmetrical with my body, you know? So I can reach out and land my hand on or close to any group of three black keys, for example. And then if I reach out the same angle on the other side of my body with the other arm, I'll land pretty close to that group of three black keys on the other side, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's getting into the regions of the keyboard. Um, and then lastly, the K kind of ties the others together. So the K is no, K-N-O-W. Um, and that's when we can look at sheet music and know how it'll feel to play in the hands. Um, and of course, once again, we start these anchors and regions exercises first with one hand and just get really comfortable with, with the exercise that way. And then the other hand, and then we go for hands together, you know, taking our time um, without this metronome clicking away at first so we can really just take our time to feel those skills hands together um, and also without the musical payoff without the musical kick at first <laughs> without the the musical enjoyment that actually is you know one of the complexities that we're dealing with when we're really sight reading is having to get across an emotional musical expression that's all set aside um, as we work on these core skills to give ourselves the chance, you know, to really develop them and then to integrate them into our, our sight reading. Right. You know, and I think a quality, you know, that, uh, I guess a tool of musicianship that, uh, hasn't really gotten brought up before, you know, for this type of approach is, is really patience, you know, and that is, yeah. you know, because everybody just wants to, when am I going to learn this song? You know, like I, 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 I love the question that I've, right. I've gotten from all kinds of ages before, you know, even, even maybe an adult student or two, it's like, when am I going to be able to like 
actually play the piano? When am I going to be able to to know it? And and I keep, you know, I have to say, there is there are, there there is a lot of literature out there that I could not play with any degree of ease. Like I, w- it would take me. I mean, there 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 are pieces written that I would say. Um, if I committed to two or three years of practicing, I could probably yeah. get there, you know? So, so it's like, there's not this, now I've made it, I can play everything. I said, as you improve, you'll, there will be less music in the world that you can't play, <laughs> but, right. but That's a good way to put it. and, and maybe I guess you could say there's less, yeah, <laughs> there's more music in the world that you can play if you want to think about it like that. But, um, totally. but the types of technique exercises and just awareness these exercises uh i I guess it takes a little bit of explanation especially the younger students look you're postponing your enjoyment of what you're playing but you're you're developing tools that allow you to really right away play more sophisticated music and enjoy it right that's really well put um and along those lines you know we can, as teachers, we can make these sort of exercises fun. I mean, that's that's part of our job, right, is to make them engaging. Mm-hmm. So I do my best. You know, once a student, uh, for example, one of the regions exercises is just playing third finger on all the different Ds, mm-hmm. you know, leaping around. So that's good for octave leaps. And then once they get comfortable with that going at their own pace, I'll have them kind of improvise, you know, various things where they're leaping and they're just playing Ds where they do have a steady beat. They're not looking down, but they're making up their own piece. Um, and then I have visual, quote unquote, pieces that just use the Ds, for example. So now they're practicing leaping around, um, and I try to make those kind of rhythmic and fun. You know, mm-hmm. So there are ways that we can do our best to make these exercises that are not, you know, they're not Mozart, they're not uh, Beethoven, they're not you know, anything musically compelling. We can try to make them kind of fun in a percussive way, you know, since the piano is is percussive. Um, but I think that goes for any instrument also. Right. So you've talked about you talked about uh, Spark you, uh, and that's a natural lead into uh, a couple of tools that you you have offered over the last few years. And uh, one of them is you do have a course called Sight Reading spark.com is the website sightreadingspark.com so uh maybe just talk briefly about that course and uh you know of course i'll put the website in the show notes but just tell us about your sight reading spark course sure so you know ever since i started working on developing my feel for the piece myself uh you know i took a lot of notes on what worked what didn't um and i guess that was that was about 10 years ago or so now uh, when I started really working on this for myself. And then after several years of sort of experimentation and trial and error, um, I started then offering exercises to my students. And it's like you talk about, David, the Pareto principle, right? So I I just tried a bunch of things um, myself, and I also used exercises from Dr. Barbara Lister Singh's class, uh, which worked really well. And I found, you know, the 20% that made the 80% of the difference. And I started then giving those to my students and tweaking further. Uh, And then, you know, when COVID struck and everything went virtual for me as a teacher, I, (laughs) I wanted to keep working with students on these skills, but I found that, you know, online, 
when we only met a half an hour once a week, we really had to cut to the chase and work on their pieces, work on their technique. There wasn't a lot of extra time for uh, trying things out, you know, so to speak. So I offered in all through 2021, a weekly class, just complimentary to my students. I said, hey, I'm trying things out, you know, uh, and so I just gave them a lot of uh, kind of crazy, you know, different sorts of exercises for developing their feel for the keys and tried to make it fun. And then uh, ended up just making a lot of videos as well to send to them. And eventually, I realized that I should, again, just take the 20% of all that stuff that really seems to work well for people and turn it into a kind of course, mm -hmm. you know, um, because just like Dr. Lister Sink did for me with technique, I love really breaking things down so that the student can go step by step by step. Um, so that's where the sight reading spark course came from, uh, was here are the exercises that seem to really make a difference. Um, and the general principle is that, you know, in the Reading Spark course, I have you first practice a certain skill looking down, like we talked about, so you can really move confidently and accurately. Then I'll show some very simple uh, imagery, uh, not even sheet music necessarily, because even if you just look at a blank piece of sheet music, you've already got five lines treble clef, five lines bass clef. It's already fairly complex. So the imagery um, is simply showing you exactly what to feel for and how to move. And then that eventually kind of evolves back into, you know, traditional sheet music notation um, as you're developing your feel for the keys. And so that's that's generally the Cyberding Spark course. It's um I think it's around eight hours, you know, video training um, and games. So it alternates training uh, with a game, right? Because games are a great way to learn. So, for example, just reaching out and, and playing uh, certain Ds, like I was referring to, um, turns into a kind of little video game of sorts, <laughs> you know, nice. at the keyboard. Great. So that's sightreadingspark.com. And then the other uh, resource that you have, uh, there's a, if you're on Facebook, there's a group called Piano Sight Reading Community. And I'm pretty sure that when I got on, being a local colleague, um, I think there was about 40... 30 or 40 members and last check as of yesterday there's 11.1 thousand members of that group so it has really grown in popularity so you're obviously touching a subject that appeals to a lot of people so yeah i would just encourage anybody to go check that out you know notifications are weird so i don't know how much recent information there is on there but people do chime in and they and uh I guess, you know, they ask questions, and we haven't really talked about this. This is something that a lot of people ask, what materials can I use for sight reading? And I think you could, if you join that group, you could just go, like, type that in. But are there favorite materials that you find for just working on sight reading repertoire? Yes. So, well, two, two answers to this. One resource that I recommend to everyone um, is Hannah Smith's uh, Progressive Sight Reading Exercises for the Piano. It's a pretty old book. Um, I think it's around 10 bucks on Amazon. It's bright green. And I love this book because she wrote uh, hundreds of one-line exercises uh, that are uh, gradually increasing in complexity. And she goes through various time signatures, all the key signatures. Um, the rhythms also increase in complexity. But the reason I like this book in particular 
is because all these exercises have both hands in the same hand position. So that may sound like maybe a little too simple, but it really gives students the chance to develop a feel for all these different hand positions, you know, like we've talked about. So here's what the A flat position feels like. Or sorry, they're not always in the same hand position. Um, most of them are. And then she does have, you know, one hand in A flat, the thumb on A flat, one hand with, you know, pinky on uh, E flat in the left hand, et cetera. But they're always in the fifth hand span. So the student gets a really good feel for this, you know, all critical fifth hand span in all the various positions in all the different keys on the piano. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, my second answer to the question about, you know, what, what resources are good for sight reading scores is, <laughs> is any score, any piece is a really great tool for developing your feel for the keys if you go about it using uh, what we call blue mode. And again, that's just a term that evolved from working on this with students. And it's similar to what David described in his last podcast about slow practice. If you take any score, even, you know, something that looks really complex, if you actually practice it in blue mode, which means that you can't look down ever, just for right now, because you're specifically targeting developing your feel for the keys, but you also can stop. You know, so it's not like don't look down and don't stop the kind of traditional sight reading advice. It's don't look down, but do stop, you know, on every note. So it doesn't matter so much how advanced the music is. Your job is to feel, you know, take your time to feel for the very first beat, right? Take all the time you need. And then when you're pretty sure you've got it by feel, go ahead and play it. Then take your time to look at the next beat and then move directly and confidently to that next hand position if necessary and play that and listen to the sound. You know, so you're really just taking your time. We call that blue mode because it's compared to kind of traditional sight reading where you just dive in and it's kind of overwhelming for a lot of people. This is pretty uh, tranquil, <laughs> you know, and, and relaxed and, and peaceful. And the, the brain learns really well. Uh, when it gets into that kind of zone, you know, and you can do it with any sheet music, right? Uh, and I and I also want to I want to squash a myth about sight reading that uh, I think gets in the way of a lot of people, and that is the literal definition of sight reading. In, you know, would suggest that it's only sight reading if you've never played the piece before. But I've always thought of sight yeah. reading as as a phase. You can apply it to anything you haven't learned really well. Like, yeah. it might be you have the music in front of you and it's more of a prompt, you know, instead of pure memorization. But if, if you haven't reached that point, if you feel like I don't really know this music, you're still sight reading. So I would say the same is true for anything that you worked on to a point. Uh, and I mean, let's just say that, uh, you know, you're an adult now and uh, you worked on a certain method book back when you were 11 or 12 years old chances are you don't remember most of those pieces those are very good for going back to for focusing on the elements of sight reading yes totally uh and you know i think that's part of i always go back to myself as a teenager when i avoided practicing sight reading and i think part of the reason 
was because I thought that the only real way that, you know, true musicians practice sight reading is to just take something you've never seen before and then go full speed. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is, hey, you know, take a piece that you're already, you've seen it before, you know, you've played through it a little bit maybe and you're kind of familiar with it. Use that, you know, with that blue mode practice because that that can really boost confidence and, and keep people motivated. Uh, especially if you're playing one of your favorite songs, if, as long as you haven't, you know, worked on it really hard and you haven't memorized it, so to speak, you're still actually reading the notes. Um, those are great. Those are a lot of fun to do blue mode with as well. Right. Well, this is something we could certainly talk about for quite a while, but I appreciate definitely the hands-on, literally hands-on approach of learning sight reading. <laughs> uh, we talked about uh, your your course, your website, sightreadingspark.com, and your Facebook group, the Piano Sight Reading Community. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share about where people can uh, get in touch with you or follow you? Those are the two main ones. Um and I'll say that with the piano sight reading community, uh, I'm planning to start putting in some more videos, you know, on these sorts of tips. But there are also a lot of really sharp teachers in that group that share things. All right. Well, David, it's been great having you chat with me today about this. So uh, thank you so much for being a guest. It's my pleasure. Thank you, David. And that's going to wrap up episode number 62. I forgot to mention in advance that there were some internet buffering issues with our uh, when we recorded this conversation, so I apologize for that. I hope that was not too distracting. I thought as I was listening to it, all of the points came across very clearly, and, and again, I really enjoyed my conversation with David. And I encourage you to check out his sight reading course and also his Facebook group. Those links will be in the show notes. It's been a while since I've asked this, but if you haven't already left a five-star rating and review on wherever you get your podcasts, specifically if you listen on Apple Podcasts, where this is very helpful, I would appreciate it if you would be willing to do that. And regardless, whether you've done it or not, or whether you feel like going that far, it would be very helpful if you would share this episode with at least one other person. Certainly, you probably know a musician who would like to do better at sight reading. And something in this episode might be informative or inspirational. Well, again, that's going to wrap up episode number 62. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back with you again next week.